You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome one, welcome all. It is the Monday following week 15 of the 2020 NFL season. It is Monday Football Monday, the best show that the SB Nation NFL show does. The SB Nation NFL show is the best NFL show. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast network. We are available on all major podcast platforms. Leave a rating, write a review. Tell us how much you enjoy the audio stylings of Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride, Michael Kist, from Bleeding Green Nation. I'm RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. We have a whole lot of NFL action to get into. The Kansas City Chiefs are still the best team in the world. The Chicago Bears looking like they are going to be the seventh seed in the NFC. The New York Jets aren't in love with Trevor Lawrence. There is a whole lot of action to get into. Kissed. we'll get to you in a second. Pete, I want to start with you because All right. it was it was a good week for you and I. You know, the Chiefs won, the Cowboys won, good times to be had all the way around. We were talking before we started recording, you made some breakfast, but it was a really great week for our boy Michael Kiss last week. Uh, big, big, big deal for Kiss. He's a big man now. He's, he's <laughs> the boss man. Way to go, Kiss. Congratulations on the he's new the job. We really wanted to show you some love. Uh, <laughs> we know you announced it to the world last week. We're very proud of you and very thrilled uh, for your promotion. Well, your title is boss, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the only title. And that's that's the only thing you need to you need to know as far as that goes. But no, <laughs> seriously, I, I am uh, very thankful for you guys. And now we get to continue to work together. So you're not getting rid of me at, at, at any point. We're going to build something uh, really special here at the SB Nation NFL show and with all the team communities we have here at uh, SB Nation as well across all sports. So it's a very exciting time. It's even better because now I don't have to talk about the Eagles on a daily basis because they cannot have a losing season without being the most dramatic team on the planet. So I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that, but uh, I'm excited to talk about this Sunday slate of action that went down. It was a very interesting week in the NFL. The last one before Christmas shows up, obviously. Pete, let's go ahead and start with you for real now, now that everything has been sorted. The Kansas City Chiefs are one of six teams that have already secured a playoff berth. Uh, the Steelers and Bills among them in the AFC. The Bills now AFC East champions, by the way. Packers, Saints, and Seahawks on the other side, but the Chiefs took down the aforementioned New Orleans Saints 32 to 29 another one score game down in the Superdome some injury concerns your thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs getting to 13 wins before Christmas yeah all right 32 to 29 and the Chiefs now have improved to 13 and one I think the NFL as you guys have said in previous weeks remains the Chiefs and everybody else I just find it hard to believe anybody is going to be able to knock off this team given their answers for whatever an opposing team tries to do defensively. They've won in so many different ways, and they impressed me last night because the Saints came in wanting to reportedly make it a, quote, bat game, bring the wood, street fight, 
And they did just that. And the Chiefs still managed to gut it out. Kansas City finishes 8-0 and on the road this season and now have a 93% chance at the bye week, the lone AFC bye. Given Andy Reid's track record and his success after bye weeks, that's like an auto ticket in Kansas City to the conference title game. Drew Brees was back for this game. He was not 100%. Confirmed that to the media after the game. I actually wonder if the Saints made a mistake in starting him. He went 0-7 for with a pick to start the game, and that ended up really being the difference and was a three-point victory for the Chiefs. The Chiefs continue to play close games. I don't like it, but it's their MO. It makes more sense to me in games like a team with the Saints than what would be like the Panthers or the Broncos, but there is a recurring thought in my mind, and that's how many times can you keep playing with fire like this before you eventually get burned? And you hope if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan that it doesn't happen in a divisional round or a title game or even the Super Bowl. This game felt like a playoff game with each team in control at different times. It would not shock me if this is the Super Bowl video that they're showing, the preview that's on NFL Network late night after the virtual NFL honors before the Super Bowl as we get ready for the next day. Patrick Mahomes remains the best quarterback to ever do it. In my write-up for Arrowhead Pride after the game, I called him the conductor of the orchestra. It's his game. You're playing in it. Another 200 yards and three touchdowns. Final note, you mentioned injuries. We're waiting to hear on Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who got twisted up in this game to the splits. Uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reported this morning he thinks he'll be back for the playoffs, meaning right now it's Le'Veon Bell's show, who finally had some throwbacks to that patience we were used to seeing. 179 rushing yards for the Chiefs in this game. I was watching this game out of the side of my eye as the Eagles were going on, and I went back and rewatched <laughs> it. But every when I was watching it live, like I, it, every time I looked over, I was just muttering bad things about Mahomes under my breath just because of how stupid good he <laughs> is and some of the throws and, and, and stuff he was doing. And to their credit, Pete, Pete mentioned like, they're just able to respond so well to teams, what teams are doing to them. And the Saints tried to throw the Chiefs a changeup. They played a lot of too high safety stuff. They mixed in a yeah. lot of man coverage. Chiefs were able to run the ball a bit in part because of that. But there were times where the Saints were able to slow them down with that strategy. But we say it every week. The Chiefs are just too much. They're too talented. And Mahomes is too good at creating for a four-man rush to hold up for 60 minutes without some magical stuff happening, even though the Saints were able to get a good deal of pressure on Mahomes. Uh, this is big because it makes it much harder for the Saints to grab the top seed as they'll have the Packers to try and catch. I doubt that happens. They've also got the Bucks kind of sniffing around, staying in there, as we're going to talk about with our guest from Bucks Nation, uh, Evan Winter, later on in the show. But yeah, this, this makes it tough for the Saints, and again, it's the same old story. Another week, and we're saying the same thing about the about the Chiefs. It's the Chiefs and everybody else, man. I don't think that the Saints are playing chess while everybody's playing checkers, but I think that there is a, a happy circumstance to their collapse, if that does sort of end up happening. You mentioned it, Kissed. I know Evan's going to talk about it. The Bucks now in contention for the NFC South title. Proverbial cliche, if the playoffs started today— the New Orleans Saints would host the Arizona Cardinals, a team that, as you know, has now swept the NFC East. The Saints hosted a team that swept the NFC East last year in the playoffs in the Minnesota Vikings and got bounced. And, you know, if we see a situation where the Saints fall from, say, the two to the five seed as a wild card winner, they would visit the winner of the NFC East. I mean, you know, again, 
maybe you factor in, oh, it's the Saints. They love playing at the Superdome. Well, the Superdome is not the Superdome this year, given the right. you know the way the world has been. Um, so I think that that's interesting, Pete. I do want your take on something. Um, well, Kist, you are the um, you are an actual Florida man. Who is your <laughs> NBA team of choice? I don't have one. I'd have to go with the Sixers. If- okay. Well, Kist is a Sixers fan. Apparently, <laughs> Pete is a New York Knicks fan. I know. Right. So apologies. Things there. are things are looking up finally. It seems. <laughs> I maybe I don't want to put this on the Chiefs. But they, they've played in how many one-score games now, Pete? Six wins in a row have been one possession games. Okay, so we, we all agree that this team, there is a massive difference between them and the field, but that they are fallible to a degree, mostly by their own doing. I, I just wonder if they have a 2016 Warriors shade to them. You know, the 73-9 and nine Warriors team that was very clearly better than everybody else, but was fallible in a very particular way and ran into a very particular player in LeBron James that was able to just kind of will his way over them. I think the guy on the other side of that would be Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, but there, there is that that just, uh, it is literally an Achilles heel on, on the Chiefs. That's their lone point of weakness. It seems like they do play up and down for whatever reason. I, I'm willing to admit that. I saw that Football Outsiders actually threw out the 11 Packers, who were 15-1, and one, ended up losing the one game to the Chiefs during the regular season and were knocked out in the divisional round by the New York Giants. I am cautioning like that. And, and there are it's just interesting that they're playing in games late. And I don't necessarily think the Chiefs would be shocked in the AFC title game. The game that I think I worry about, because I we think they're going to get the bye, right? The game that I worry about is the divisional mm. round where they're kind of not expecting whoever this team happens to be. Mm. The team ends up playing them well, and they're just not as psyched up to win what would be the trophy in the next game. And then because they've been playing in all these close games and only these legit teams make the playoffs, somehow this divisional round opponent finishes the job. That's my concern. If they can get to the AFC title game, I think they're on to the Super Bowl. But there is that little worry of are they leaving the door open too many times here? I would counter that with Andy Reid after the bye. So even when they may be most vulnerable, they're yeah. going to be their most prepared. They may be a little <laughs> exactly. bit flat, but like, yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And the loan buy is huge this year. Yeah. And that this is for both conferences. The team that gets a bye in previous years, and there was usually two teams, just has such a greater chance at making the Super Bowl. That advantage is just so much more now that there's six other teams that have to play the previous weekend. Incredible advantage for the Chiefs and whoever wins in the NFC. Well, Andy Reid is an amazing head coach, as we all know. Somehow, some way, he has overcome in recent years the loss of Matt Nagy, um, because Matt Nagy is obviously an incredible coach in his own right. The Chicago Bears, <laughs> seven up, baby, get, are the first non-Packers team in the NFC North to get to seven wins. I put the Minnesota Vikings on the charcuterie board. I've been a believer. It might be a dream that I now have to surrender. Thirty-three to twenty-seven, kissed. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky is playing himself into relevance in 2021 whether it's in chicago or somewhere else you you know you know me so well you know exactly where <laughs> i wanted to go with this mr trubisky look he's had a very fortunate run of past defenses to go up against whether it's detroit or houston who are both in the cellar of past defenses or minnesota who are below average it has been set up great for this guy as he tries to entice teams possibly the bears to invest in him for 2021 it also helped that in this one david montgomery snapped off for 146 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. But this singular game isn't nearly as important as the overarching theme of Trubisky's future, especially in Chicago. And you wonder, what are their options? They did have the seventh, or the 16th pick coming into the, uh, into the draft, coming into this game. Uh, that's only worse now. 
So I doubt that they're in play for one of those top three quarterbacks, whether it be Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and then, of course, Trevor Lawrence, who the Jets just uh, blew their chance on, really. Do you trade for one? Do they do they buy one? Do they bring in another vet to compete with Trubisky? Is it maybe somebody like Gardner Minshew? Like, is Trubisky even back? So you can make the the argument that he's played himself into a shot next year, which for Bears fans has to be terrifying. And we talked <laughs> about this on the Palpably Unfair podcast last week. Like, what do you do if you're the Bears in this situation, is he going to fool you again? Which for me, I mean, just that that's pennies from heaven as far as, you know, Twitter content and takes and whatnot. But like, I'm wondering what you guys think. Like, who do you think is is under center for the Bears next year? My answer, not Mitch Trubisky. And I'll <laughs> explain as I explain what I think in this game. I don't think you have to I really explain. sell that. <laughs> but yeah, I like the way the Bears used David Montgomery in this game. And you touched upon it kissed when i normally watch chicago bears highlights i see him about in the tennis range for carries the bears almost used him like dalvin cook in this game 32 times i looked up the next amount of rushes he had in any game this year was 21 mm-hmm. he had 146 yards and two touchdowns i think maybe you give montgomery enough times to get in a rhythm and he looks very very good out there and when you're working with mitch trubisky you have to do that In a perfect world, Matt Nagy would have had his own Patrick Mahomes. Instead, he has to, and I know this is a stretch, but, you know, he was from Kansas City. He has to Jamal Charles it a little bit until he finds that quarterback, maybe involving Montgomery a little bit more, can get you uh, passing by. Here's the problem with the idea that Trubisky could be in Chicago. The playoff picture right now for the Bears, they are 7-7 and with games ahead against the Jaguars, winnable, the Packers. Mm. It might not matter for the Packers. That's worth mentioning. I mean, that that could impact this race. With the way the Saints are after them, with the Seahawks now putting wins together, there, there's a decent chance that it does. And if the Packers need that game, they're not going to win that game. I think the Bears, with the Cardinals at that seventh, will miss the playoffs. And so, in my opinion, Ryan Pace needs to be let go in Chicago mm. for what he did to this franchise. He'll never recover with the fan base for picking Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson. And I think Nagy deserves to be able to pick his own guy. I I really do. He didn't pick Trubisky. I I think we forget that about Matt Nagy. And so So, is it fair? I have a take. um, I've birthed uh, half of this take before, but I'm just going to you know fully commit myself to this. I think that one of Carson Wentz or Zach Ertz is a Chicago Bear next year. Okay. Yep. One of one of those two is is on this team in 2021. I think it would be really interesting if it's Zach Ertz and Nick Foles is there and you know <laughs> that would be a lot of fun, but I I do think Carson Wentz is an option. I think Andy Dalton's an option. I think Jameis Winston, no Jameis Winston's still under contract. Uh Taysom Hill. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there are some some different, you know, and that's to to Pete's point like the Bears are in purgatory. The the Bears are last year's Vikings without what's you know what was a playoff win. They're they're a team that's just going to be in the middle of the draft. That's going to kind of be floating and treading water and going to have to figure stuff out because you're right. Like there's there's nobody there's that's coming to save them. And so they're going to double down on David Montgomery for next year the way the Minnesota Vikings do with Dalvin Cook, and that's all they've got. Like that. And poor Allen Robinson. If anything, let him walk. I mean, th- this is a team that. I can't imagine being a Bears fan right now. Shout out to Windy City Gridiron because you guys need uh, all the T's and P's in the world. I have a quick point on on Kirk Cousins on the other side, and, and you guys can weigh in here. Right. RJ, RJ, I know you have Andy Dalton as a personal pal now, but to me, the Cousins line, the Cousins line feels like the new Dalton line. 
where you're about 13th to 17th-ish in this league. If your quarterback is better than Kirk Cousins, you have a franchise in the right direction. If you have a QB worse than Kirk, you frankly don't. And the hard part of that for Vikings fans is that when you actually have Cousins, you end up stuck in that 7th to 10th place hell where you don't really get a premium pick or one in reach of a quarterback without sacrificing a lot and you just stay there. I present to you guys the Cousins line. I know, by the way, on the subject of NBA teams, Kirk Cousins is a San Antonio Spurs fan. Like That's the most like Kirk Cousins <laughs> statement possible. You know what I mean? Like That's just who he is. We, we've talked about the Cousins line before at BGN. We did it last year before they were they were about to play. We called Y'all it, hate him. We, we called it the Kirk Cousins Cousins litmus test. And this is for defenses because <laughs> if Kirk Cousins lights you up, you don't have a defense. Very similar uh, line of thinking there. If he doesn't light you up, maybe maybe you have a defense because Kirk Cousins is good enough to hurt you and, and bad enough to kill his, his own team. They have a decision there too because they might have to screw their 2021 cap future by right. cutting Cousins. They, so they they have a decision to make there because I, I do agree with you, Pete. They're in a bit of that that middle ground where just like he's not going to carry the team to be a real playoff contender. I think I think sometimes when you're a fan of a of a team like this that has a cousins like player, you would almost rather not having a quarterback at all and piecing something together and going four and twelve for a year or two, right. so you can get maybe get someone in the mix. Mm. That's it's the tough part of being in the middle of the road. You you can get stuck there for years and years and years. Yep. I'm a bigger fan of Kirk than most. Um, I think that he will flourish and prosper next year as the quarterback of the 49ers. But that is uh, something that we'll get to in 2021. <laughs> like We've talked a lot right now about the future of the quarterback position for both the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. The New York Jets kissed. You touched on it. Our winners. Um, in fact, we'll get to the Trevor Lawrence thing in a second. A week ago, Kissed, we sat here, we talked about contenders, etc., and we were talking the NFC title game, right? I've said that I think the Green Bay Packers are going to win the NFC. You doubled down on that with me. We are Team Pack. Somebody here, uh, who's not you and is not me, said, I think that the Los Angeles Rams are going to win the NFC. And the very next thing that the Rams did was lose 23-20 to to the New York Jets. Pete. Shame on you. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I embrace all my victories on this show. I'm going to embrace the L here. Okay. That was not the start we wanted for the Rams <laughs> to push their way to Super Bowl LV against the Chiefs. But I want to look at this game for a second and look at it from the perspective of the Rams because it's all that matters. I don't care about the New York Jets. I don't think the Rams defense was good. But this is a Jets team with young, skilled players, except for Frank Gore, that are going to try to come up with some good tape at the end of the year here. I think about Sam Darnold, who's trying to keep his job, Jamison Crowder, Ty Maybe Johnson. Sam's in Chicago next year, by the way. Ooh. Possibility. We know Gore, even though he's as old as anybody in his late 30s, will bring in every game. I don't think the Rams defense was ready for as physical as an 0-13 team was about to be. It looked to me like there were a couple significant problems with the Rams' offense, and that the offense is a bigger problem, I think, to me. The inability to establish a run game early led to a lack of success for Goff and play action. The Jets were able to beat up the Rams' offensive line with three or four, meaning seven or eight guys covering Rams' skill guys. Goff cannot make the tight throws necessary to combat that. And when the run game isn't established, the play action is not going to make it any easier. The Rams were not ready for the Jets to compete. And that is on the shoulders of Sean McVay. But 
but, but, and here's what I wanted to get to. There are two ways this can go. This can break your freaking season, or you can look yourself in the mirror on Monday and pull a Virginia in the same year. If you're not a college basketball fan, I'll explain. Virginia was the only one seed to lose to a 16 seed. It was embarrassing, the most embarrassing loss in college basketball history. Then the next year, they went on to win the championship. Mm. Sounds crazy to say, but sometimes a loss like this is good for a team to refocus. No better time than with the Seahawks up next. You still have a lot to play for. The Seahawks don't look all that great right now either. Go win the division. Forget about it. Flush it. This is one of those old school football, bury the tape, bury the football type of games and move on because you still have a lot to play for. I think that's a great rallying point and a point by you, Pete. I certainly think that's a possibility. I don't think it matters how hot the Rams get because Jared Goff's floor <laughs> is losing to the Jets. Think about that. That's a great right. point. His ceiling is the first half plus of the 2018 season when he was really coming. Beating the Chiefs. Right, right. His floor. They won an NFC championship. Right, I agree. It, but his floor is losing to the Jets, being down to them by 17 points at one point, in fact. This is the third biggest cap hit in the league at near 29 mil. Next year is near 35 mil. Right? And maybe this maybe this antidote will, will help me explain the disparity. The gap between his floor and his ceiling. If I let Goff watch my three-year-old, the wee Emperor Augustus, one day I come home and the house is spotless and Augustus is speaking fluent Spanish out of nowhere. The next day I come home, everything is a mess. There's poop smeared all over the walls and we're looking for a missing limb caused by a mishap with a garbage disposal. I don't know if there's a higher ceiling, lower floor quarterback in the league. So on a normal day, yes, the Rams would do very well in the playoffs. I think they can compete with anybody and beat most. But when they are off, they can lose to the Jets. Yeah, Jared Goff uh, truly is the Tower of Terror, Kist. I mean, like, (laughs) you know, sealing the floor in in a rapid decline. Uh, Pete, I think it's worth mentioning that Virginia beat Texas Tech in in the title game that year. So maybe if if your, you know, prophecy comes to fruition, the Rams beat a a Texas Tech legend in Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I I don't know about that. Uh, No, these are your words. I'm just, I I thought it was really interesting here. And maybe this is, this just speaks to how, like, terrible the Jets are how honest Sean McVay was post-game. Like, he was legitimately like, this was humiliating. You know, like, who would say that? Like, like that's <laughs> that's such a mean thing to say to the Jets. But I guess it is what it is. Obviously, Kist, you mentioned it a second ago, Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville Jaguars, now hold the number one overall pick by way of this Jets win. It does appear, if we kind of extrapolate the season, that they are going to finish with the number one pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. Trevor Lawrence, the incumbent selection, obviously the fantastic quarterback out of Clemson. I do also think, Pete, I want your quick take on this, that the Jaguars not only maybe nabbed Trevor Lawrence on Sunday, they might have nabbed Eric Bieniemy because now you've got the number one overall pick. You've got the rights to Trevor Lawrence. You have all the draft capital in the world. You have all the salary cap space in the world. You are, we've talked so much about this is the best job. That's the best job. But now that the Jaguars have that, they might be the best job. Yeah. I like Los Angeles. The Chargers job for Bienemy. I also like the Houston Texans job for Bienemy. Yeah. But I like your point with the Jacksonville Jaguars. There have been these weird rumors that John Dorsey, former GM of the Chiefs and Browns, who's now apparently doing some con- con- consulting? consultation, yeah. consulting, yeah, consulting with the uh, Eagles, could be paired with Bienemy. And now the Jaguars, they are 
in line to get Trevor Lawrence. So I think that that combination becomes uh, more attractive and, and it's a decent point. And if they're going to come with a GM head coach type of tandem, I don't think there's a bigger shock wave to an organization than what Dorsey and Bienemy would provide. Dorsey, I think, has learned a lot probably from his first two failures with the cap management and stuff. And I think he's going to surround himself with some good people. Bienemy, the ultimate motivator. And he's now worked with Patrick Mahomes and Adrian Peterson and so on and so forth. Uh, before I, I throw it to Kiss for his points on this, I do have to say congratulations to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, this is <laughs> as clear of a come up of the week oh, as it gets. Yes. Blown out 40 to 14, yet projected to have Trevor Lawrence and a mini come up. You know, we've been alluding to this. It's just been a come Bryant. up episode. Mini come up. That's a mini, mini come up for Des Bryant, but the mini come up goes to Gardner Minshew, the next quarterback of the Chicago Bears <laughs> or New England Patriots. It all comes full circle, baby. Congrats to Gardner as well. I love Kissed. It. Eric Bieniemy to Jacksonville. Are you down? Yeah, of course I'm down. I'm down for Eric Bieniemy just about everywhere, man. That guy, that guy will fit on any offense. I don't it might, even with the Eagles. Like I, I don't care, man. Put him somewhere. Let him work with a quarterback. And that Jaguars job is really attractive especially when you look at what they're going to have on offense, if it is, in fact, Trevor Lawrence, then you also already have the weapons there. You've got a running back. You've got the offensive line. Like DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, two young guys that have that are, played really well. James Robinson has played excellent. Uh, a, a great pickup there at running back. And then they had the offensive line pieces to where you're not getting your quarterback killed year one. I think it's a very, very attractive job. And I mentioned this before. This is an owner that wants to spend money that is in on a rebuild. Uh, so I think uh, I, I think that's a, a top job right now. The future of the state of Florida from a football standpoint certainly is bright. You got Michael Kist now big ups, <laughs> boss man Kist. You've got the Miami Dolphins on the rise, seemingly going to the playoffs. The Jacksonville Jaguars a bit further back, but on, on the right track. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are more in the here and now, not necessarily with an eye fixed on the future. Winners on Sunday, uh, the Atlanta Falcons did it again, but nobody cares. 31-27, to 27, the Bucks still trying to um, make their way. And uh, Kist, you spoke, as you mentioned, with Evan Winter from BucksNation.com to get the skinny on Bruce Arians' impenetrable squad. Let's get to Evan Winter right now. Evan, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show here on Monday Football Monday. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Victory Monday, so it's hard to complain. But when you're a Tampa Bay Bucks fan, you can always find room. But Bucks have a greater than 99% chance of making the playoffs, so I'm happy. There you go, taking the positives there. I like that. Final score, Bucks 31, Falcons 27. But things were looking real hairy there for a while, and this was a tale of two halves. So we're going to separate those halves as we talk about them. What went wrong in the first half? That led to the Falcons holding a 17 to nothing lead over the Bucks at half. It was the Falcons pressure and how Raheem Morris disguises his blitz and uh, defensive. I guess he's the defense, defensive coordinator for the Falcons, Jeff Ulbrich. Um, but I talked about it all week long on BucksNation.com and on my podcast was that if you go back and watch the tape against Minnesota, yes, Tom Brady was not sacked at all. And he was only hit, I think, three times in that game. However, you could see the Bucks had issues identifying where the Vikings were bringing the blitz. And that's one thing Bruce Arians even talked about leading into the Vikings game was how they had the Vikings have a good blitz package, so on and so forth. So the thing I kept stressing, and especially once Donovan Smith was ruled out, I believe on Friday, um, was that Tampa Bay is going to have to find a way to communicate and they're going to have to find a way to figure out where this pass rush is going to come from. And that's that's exactly what they didn't do in the first half. Bruce Arians even said at halftime they're not communicating properly up front. 
we've got to fix that. And then he even said after the game that they fixed those issues. And then you saw, even though Brady still got hit a little bit in the fourth, you saw them able, or you saw Brady rather, able to stand back and deliver balls and not be under pressure. So it was easily just a mix up of communication up front, the Falcons bringing pressure and the Bucks just not executing as well. So it was a, it was a collaboration of a lot of things. But definitely it was the pressure on Brady that really screwed things up in that first half. Yeah, the pressure packages were definitely more effective in the first half. But how did things unfold overall in the game in the second half to make this comeback even possible for the Bucs? I understand it's the Falcons and this this (laughs) stuff type, you know, it happens. But like, you know, still a lot of things got to go right. What went right for the Bucs in the second half? Absolutely. You had like zero margin for error. And that's one thing I tweeted out at halftime was, this first half was an absolute disaster. The only optimism I can offer is that the Bucks are playing the Falcons. Um, <laughs> and they finally got the pass protection issues down. Um, and then they kind of figured the Falcons out on defense. The Falcons were max protecting a lot and just getting guys open. The Bucks have issues with max protect to begin with. Um, obviously, there's that great debate going on right now, whether a pass rush means more or a secondary means more. In terms of the Bucks, in terms of their context, they've got to have both working. Um, especially with Vita Vea out. Now, granted, secondary probably means just a little bit more, but if one's off, chances are the other's not working. And if you're max protecting and the guys aren't getting home, then odds are the receivers are going to be open. Tampa Bay did catch some breaks in that second half, too, as great as they were. Atlanta dropped a few balls. Matt Ryan missed a couple passes, a couple open reads, so it's not like it was all bucks, even though they looked magnificent. But I think it was just more about settling things down at halftime. And Tom Brady and Devin White – as odd as this is for them to say after the game, they both said that they came out flat a little bit in the first and turned it up in the second half. So what, take that for however you want. But really feels like Tampa Bay just settled down and kind of realized what they needed to do. And also it kind of shows the difference between Dirk Cutter and Raheem Morris, why they currently are an interim coach and you know a recently fired coach as opposed to Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. Yeah, that is correct. And you mentioned Tom Brady, who went off for 390 yards, two touchdowns in this one. Big old stat line for uh, for Tom there. And look, with the Saints losing to the Chiefs, the Saints failed to clinch the NFC South. They have the Vikings and the Panthers remaining. They are on a slide, however. The Bucks had the Lions and then the Falcons again. So if the Saints lose out and the Bucks win out, the Bucks can take the NFC South on the last day of the season. Sticking with what the Bucs can control, let's make a prediction here. Do they win out in those last two games? I'm still going to say yes. I am petrified of the rematch with Atlanta now. <laughs> but <laughs> Detroit, they just they can't really slow anybody down on defense. Stafford's beat up again. Mm-hmm. And Kenny Galladay's probably not going to play, even right. though Marvin Jones is a very good receiver. Questions in the backfield. Frank Ragnall in his fractured throat. Who knows if he comes back? So I'm confident about the Lions game, not so much about the Falcons game. But if I was a betting man, which on Sundays I am, I would say take the Bucks. <clears throat> excuse me, in these last two games. Yeah, I would say take them as well. But I am still pretty concerned with the Bucks overall and how inconsistent they are at this point in the season. My feeling was coming into the season that they would figure things out as things came along. But like, should I be this concerned? And if not, sell me on what makes them prime for a serious playoff run. No, you should be concerned. I'm not going to blow smoke or anything like that. I thought for sure after they came out of the bye week that they would be setting the world on fire. I figured they would kind of go in that bye week, figure things out. And then especially with the upcoming slate of opponents, that these four games, it's the NFL, nothing's easy. 
but it would be relatively easy for them to take care of business. It's these slow starts that scare me. It's why I'm selling them is because, listen to these numbers. In the playoffs, this is not going to work against a good team. Now, maybe the NFC East opponent, if you get that fifth seed, maybe. But in the first quarter, Tampa Bay has the sixth lowest yards per play, the second lowest first down percentage, and they uh, have the second most punts. They're about mid-pack in terms of touchdowns scored in the first quarter. On defense, they have the third highest yards per play allowed, the eighth highest first down percentage allowed, most touchdowns allowed, the sixth fewest sacks, and they're like mid-pack in turnover percentage and mid-to-pack in forced punts. So the offense and the defense aren't getting it done early in games, and that is something that has bled throughout the entire year. I don't know why that is. I'm of the mindset at this point in time that this team just comes in with a bad game plan. And to their credit, they're obviously adjusting enough to win. Playoffs are a completely different animal. And with a roster that has very little to no playoff experience, I mean, obviously you got Brady and JPP who kind of tip the scales, but those are just two players. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the postseason with this team for sure. Yeah, if they go down like that in the playoffs, like you need Mahomes on the other side of that to, <laughs> to make that consistently work. But Evan, I, I appreciate your time and, and all the work you do. Go ahead and plug yourself, plug the pod, where people can find you and all that stuff. Find me on Twitter at Evan underscore winner. I write for BucksNation.com, SB Nation's Tampa Bay Buccaneers blog, obviously. And then the North and South podcast. Uh, it's my podcast to come out with the game preview every week, instant reactions. And then if I have the time, I'll try to drop something else off every every now and then. But at least we have that, that schedule going right now. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back. Thank you to Evan Winter from Bucks Nation for taking the time to join us, for talking to Kist. Always a fun experience listening to any conversation about the Bucks or listening to Michael Kist. And let's do that a little bit more, Pete. The uh, Miami Dolphins we mentioned yeah. are now slayers of the king the new england patriots are officially eliminated from playoff contention thanks to the miami dolphins i think i'm not certain but i think this was the first matchup in nfl history i say that facetiously of quarterbacks who both both wore number one it's like a, a jersey gami yeah. were you were you <laughs> were you impressed i mean they took down the patriots brian flores no mike Gusecki, no Devonte parker no problem Dolphins offensive coordinator Chan Gailey, who I think has done a pretty excellent job this year overall, he pulled out every trick in the bag for this one. They had a double reverse pass attempt turn run with former college quarterback Lynn Bowden. They motioned a tight end under center for a sneak conversion. They had a wide receiver uh, hook, oh, yeah. hook and ladder on a two-point conversion. Ultimately, all of that adds up to a W. They knock out the Patriots. 11 straight years the Patriots have gone to the playoffs and that is over what a day for the Dolphins also Dolphins turnover tracker they are now at 20 consecutive games with the takeaway Xavier Howard should have had a fumble return for a touchdown too after an excellent play to punch it out of Cam Newton's uh, clutches by the rookie safety Brandon Jones but another player uh, grazed the loose ball as it touched out of bounds New England got the ball back the turnover that uh, that counted also came from Xavier Howard he has 10 on the season he has caused 10 turnovers and he is 
firmly in the discussion as one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Pete, on the other side of this, the Patriots, as mentioned, officially eliminated from playoff contention, first time since 2008, a year in which the Miami Dolphins won the AFC East. How many think pieces are coming over the offseason about how the Patriots are getting back to ground zero and Bill Belichick's got the most entertaining job ahead of him <laughs> in some time and he's got all this stuff to work with. I mean, that's inevitable. Yeah, I, I think the problem in and what we found out really quickly in the 2020 NFL season is that Cam Newton is done. I, I, I just think that that's the truth. So I'm refraining from judging Bill Belichick's next chapter. I know a lot of people will say Brady one, Belichick zero. I've said this on a previous episode. We got to wait till Belichick picks his new quarterback. Garner because Minch. could be <laughs> Belichick is in a position right now, like a lot of teams in the NFL are for years where if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. And I just think that they're in that position right now. They did a decent job. They may end up finishing eight and eight, probably more likely seven and nine, something like it, which is a good job with what he had to work with, with Edelman on IR, you lose Brady, Cam Newton, who looked good. All at the, the be- opt outs, yeah. Looked good at the beginning of the season, wasn't so good. I think the Patriots, as long as they're able to get some serviceable type of quarterback, have a p- better plan than they did this year at that position, they'll be right back in the mix. I'm not saying it's going to be back to the AFC East champions, but there's seven teams in the AFC playoff picture now. Look for them to rebound and make the playoffs in 2021. I'm guaranteeing it right now on the on the podcast. Let's um let's flip. Let's go from the AFC East to the NFC East, which is maybe the most riveting division in the NFL at present time. Uh, only one team in the NFC East won in Week 15. Oh. America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> defeated the oh. San Francisco 49ers. The Washington Football Team lost to the Seattle Seahawks in a game that featured the best camera angles we have ever seen. Yeah. The New York Giants lost on Sunday Night Football to the Cleveland Browns and kissed your Philadelphia Eagles lost to the Arizona Cardinals. As it stands, Washington still in first place. Woo! Dallas and New York tied in second place. Philly, you know, in last, no big deal. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and and I, I, don't, I don't know. I still believe that Washington is the favorite here. A win from the football team eliminates the Cowboys from NFC East title contention. But this this is mildly entertaining. Like, are, are we are we entertained, Kiss? I, I actually am. I think it's so bizarre and wonky that it does become entertaining at some point. Not actually watching the games. And I also appreciate the fact that Giants-Browns only went two hours and 50 minutes. Thank you for moving the plot along, whoever was directing that. But I, I think right now, Washington has, has got to be the favorite. But the problem is, they're going to play Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. Is Alex Smith going to be back? If Alex Smith is back and healthy for the Panthers game, I think they take both the Panthers and the Eagles to close this out. However, mm-hmm. if he's not, I think that's where things get really interesting and, and it could get real wonky in week 17. I just hope the the Eagles continue this little elegant tank that they're on, right? Be competitive, <laughs> show some signs of life against the Cardinals, but ultimately lose, but you still feel good about it. I think that's what a lot of teams in the NFC East want right now. Like Washington could go have it, man, as far as I'm concerned. Pete, your feelings about the WFT are well on the record. I'm going to challenge you here and say, outside of them, they're your clear favorites, pun intended. Who is the who is the second best competitor to the NFC's crown? I think it's the Cowboys right now. I think the Giants came on a little bit, but I think you saw last 
Knight. I, they got what, what are they doing getting cute against the Browns? I I don't know what that punter. The Giants, play, you mean? Right. The, the New York Giants were. Yeah, I don't know what that punter play was. I think they're really overthinking it, playing themselves out of it. Colt McCoy's in there. He's not going to be able to do it. Kiss. I think you had a really great point about Smith and Haskins. If Haskins plays the rest of the way, they will not be the team representing the NFC East. I agree with you. So long as they have Alex Smith healthy. Uh, They're not going to be a team you want to see in the playoffs. That's just my opinion. I know that RJ disagrees. Uh, Russ did a nice job, but I'm telling you, the reason they only lost 20 to 15 uh, was because of the defense. There was a point this year when we considered the Seahawks to be a Super Bowl team. At 10 and 4, they're still tier two. I mean, Mm. Haskins almost beat them. Mm. And and I. Great points. Something that says that about, the, I think, the Seahawks and the WFT defense. And I just don't think the football team, if they have Smith, are a team you're going to want to see in the playoffs. If they don't make it, the Cowboys, you never know what could happen. And then the Eagles, I would say it's time. If Carson Wentz uh, does not want to be a backup, let's make some alternative plans for the future. And it doesn't have to be hard feelings. It's a business. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Right. Find the guy a new job if, a, if another team wants him. Kissed, I will tell you this about the Eagles. That tie right now, I'm looking at the bottom of the conference. I know it's fun to be competitive and not be less, but that's killing them when it comes to draft because <laughs> you have the Falcons at 4-10 and 10 and the Panthers also at 4-10. and 10. The Eagles would be right in that mix for the top pick in the NFC had they not had that tie. Yeah, and I agree, and I agree with you as far as Carson Wentz goes. Obviously, he wants to go somewhere where he could be the starter. But Jalen Hurts is playing him out of that starting position in Philadelphia. I don't think Carson Wentz has any interest in a quarterback competition. Which is fine. Go where you want to go. But the, if the Eagles do this, they need to do it before the third day of the new league year sometime in March. Because after that, that's when his roster bonus accelerates. And that's when it becomes too costly to cut or trade them. So they're still going to be screwed 2021 cap-wise if they trade him be- before that deadline. But that frees all of that money up for 2022. You give Hertz a full season in 2021. You see if he's the quarterback or not. You start getting the roster. And now you have a fresh start in 2022, whether that be with a new quarterback or with Hertz as your guy. I do think it is time for a breakup in Philadelphia. I hope Carson Wentz goes somewhere and succeeds. It's just it doesn't feel like it's going to be in Philly and Philly needs to do what they do, do what they have to do to make sure that they can be competitive in 2022, 2023 and move on from this mess that they have created. This feels like um, do you remember the Boy Meets World episode where Corey kissed Linda Cardellini at the uh, the, like ski lodge or whatever? (laughs) That's that's like the Eagles and Jalen Hurts right now. Right. You know, Carson wants his Topanga. He's pretty pissed (laughs) off. He's (laughs) got to get out of here. I'm looking at these three teams that are left in the NFC East, if we're counting the Eagles out as we should. There's a lot of games that they play each other the rest of the way. So this could be almost like an extension of the playoffs. It's like a a toilet bowl almost in real life that we're going to be witnessing over the next three weeks. Well, so a very important game is Washington against the Carolina Panthers next week, the Ron Rivera Bowl, uh, which leads me to my award for the week, the Brian Fantana Sex Panther Award. Mm. Oh, I I have chosen to award this illustrious accomplishment to Matt Rule, the Carolina Panthers head coach. The Panthers lost on Saturday night to the Green Bay Packers. But if this game had happened on Sunday, the analytics talk on Monday morning would have been all the rage with two minutes and eight seconds left to go down by 11 on first and 10 on the Green Bay 15 yard line. 
Matt Rule elected to kick a field goal. Lots of people. What are you doing? How are you doing? You're down by 11. You need a touchdown. What are you doing? Well, the thing about this was the Carolina Panthers only had one timeout left. So only two clock stoppages if you count the two-minute warning. They kick off out of the end zone. All these people, what are you doing kicking out of the end zone? Why don't you kick it onside? You still got to score another touchdown, etc. Matt Rule's smart. He knows. I need to stop the clock. The sequence that followed that. Aaron Jones got seven yards on first down. Game went to the two-minute warning. Then Aaron Jones was tackled for a one-yard loss. Shot out of the Panthers' defense. Uh, after that, time uh, clicked down. The Packers took a timeout themselves. And then Aaron Rodgers was sacked for a 14-yard loss. The Carolina Panthers got the ball back down by eight with a minute and four seconds left. Ooh. Was it ever going to be a situation that, you know, led to a win 90% of the time? No. But Matt Rule maximized what he was working with. He gave his team a shot. He was down eight with a minute. That's one possession. And I think it really, really gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of optimism in Matt Rule, in Joe Brady, and everything that the Panthers have building towards the future. Well, speaking of which, the Panthers have parted ways with general manager Matt Herney. That was uh, that was reported today. So I agree with you on Matt Rule, and I think the Panthers are heading in the right direction, getting rid of Herney. Matt Herney gone, yeah. Clearly the Panthers believe one Matt Rule's and the other does not. <laughs> um, I mentioned this a moment ago, my... Sort of a, my throw up the X award winner, Des Bryant caught a touchdown for the first time since 2017 on Sunday. I know that Des Bryant has made your life a living hell at times, Kiss, as an Eagles fan, but this was really cool. And uh, I think it was CBS Sports that tweeted out Des Bryant will finish with more touchdowns on the season than Michael Thomas as the New Orleans Saints wide receiver was placed on injured reserve. Got to give the mini green jacket award to Charlie Woods also, too. That's an honorable. <laughs> since we're talking about awards, I will say. We're in a current. We're currently in a review process for the Yeet of the Week. It's prestigious. Mm. We want to get it right. We want to make sure mm. that Josh Allen had a couple of great throws on Saturday. True. He, he balled out. By the way, I want to compare sure. those against the Mahomes throws. I want to check the rest of the league. So you're going to hear that on the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, I believe it was on there where I said that I legit couldn't believe that the Detroit Lions hired former Eagles defensive backs coach Corey Unlin to be their defensive coordinator. Well. Their 46 allowed points to the Tennessee Titans was the fourth time that the Lions have given up 40-plus this year. Gotta love it when two takes combine for a whopper like that. Hashtag tighten up, baby. I Ooh, have Music City, Mike. I have one <laughs> final question uh, for the two of yous, and it's a bit arbitrary, but that's kind of the Monday Football Monday way. Who is the greatest player in the history of the NFC South? Because watching the Saints-Chiefs game, Drew Brees was very clearly a shell of himself, right? And I thought, man, what we've come such a long way from like the peak of Drew Brees. And maybe he regains it you know, to a degree as, as the playoffs begin. I think we all want to see that from, from a competitive standpoint. And obviously, Tom Brady plays in the NFC South. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us would, would qualify him, you know, given you know, just his one season there to date. If it's not Drew Brees, I mean, like, who's a competitor? Who's, who's competing with Drew Brees legitimately for that title? I don't think anybody can because thinking about it, what, what would it be like? Julio Jones is in there. Like, I'm trying to think of like Julio Cam. Right. I mean, it, like, like, honestly, like the list kind of includes even and I, no disrespect intended, even players like Gerald McCoy. Like, Luke, that's that, Luke that's Keekly. the type of list. We're t yeah. I Jake, mean, like, Jake Delham, obviously, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like Jake is in the in the conversation and Steve Smith, Julius Peppers, maybe. Mm. But like, it's it's a really weird division in that, like. If you assembled the all-time NFC South team, it would get, like, the crap kicked out of it by, by like, the uh, other all-time divisional teams. 
I don't know. You've got the, you've got that dominant Bucks defense that you can build with there, right? From 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 the 2000s. So you, so answer the question: Who's the best player in the history? Well, if of the NFC if South? if Tom Brady ends up winning a Super Bowl this year, he'll have as many Super Bowls as as Drew Brees does in, in the NFC South. So I, I think and then you have to consider him. Yes, I think it's Brees. It's got to be Brees. You have to go with the the best quarterback. Then who's second? Who like who's who's the best non Brees player in the history of the division? I don't know. It's man. an impossible question to answer. Luke Keekley. Derek Brooks, Ronde Barber. I don't. Someone from that defense. <laughs> Ooh, Ronde Barber. Keenan McCardell. No, I don't know. Either way, um, it was a very strange week in the NFL. It's going to be an even more strange week this coming week. We have football on what Thursday? No, no Thursday game. Football Friday, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Wow. Yeah. So you know, it's going to be a good time. Uh, I wish you both and your families and all of you listeners a very Merry Christmas. We, Merry we Christmas. hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. You'll hear from Kist again later this week on the Pupcast. Uh, maybe more production since he's the boss now. He might you know demand to be everywhere else. Uh, you can hear me on the Look Ahead on Thursdays. Check mm. out Between at ArrowheadPride.com, BleedingGreenNation.com, BloggingTheBoys.com, SBNation.com while you're at it. We love you all. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Enjoy Week 16. Don't cross the bounce. <laughs>